Grace to and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we receive this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 to 6. At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. After Jonah was swallowed by the sea creature, after he was spit up on the land again, and after he went through the city of Nineveh preaching God's word, he sat down on top of a hill and waited, hoping to see God's wrath poured out on the city. Jonah was a little annoyed and angry when God's wrath did not come upon the city. He really wanted to see that city destroyed. And so in order to teach him a valuable lesson, one would think the swallowing by the sea creature would have been enough, but Jonah had a stubborn heart like all of us. In order to teach him another valuable lesson, God caused a tree to grow up. That tree gave shade to Jonah, and he appreciated it, but then the next day, God sent a worm that killed the tree. It died. He no longer had shade. And he was angry. He was angry that that tree, which gave him shade, died. God appeared to Jonah and said, Why? Why are you angry that a tree died, but you don't care that a whole city full of people might die? For the longest time as a child, and it never really got it. I mean, I understood the point that God was saying there, but I didn't quite get what a tree had to do with a city full of people. As a child, they always seemed very different things to me. But that's kind of God's point, isn't it? God's point is that we, we have this disconnect in our brain. If I were to ask you, which is more important, a tree or a city? full of people, even full of 120,000 children. It's not a hard question. We'd probably all know the right answer right away. 120,000 children obviously are more important than a tree, even one that gives us shade. And yet, in our daily lives, we have that same disconnect that Jonah had, where we care more, even though we know we should care more about the city, we care more about the tree because it affects us personally. We prioritize things that affect us. Now, if we actually saw a city of 120,000 children destroyed, it, it probably, probably would have an effect on us. But when it's happening far away, when it's happening on the other side of the world, we have a tendency to care more about that which affects us instead of prioritizing that which really should be prioritized. And that's what Jesus is talking about in our text as well. Humble yourself, he says to the disciples. 
What does he mean by this humble yourself other than that we learn how to correctly prioritize the needs of others rather than prioritizing only that which affects us? Most of us learned in kindergarten how to stack blocks. But God would teach us today how to stack correctly our priorities. Jesus puts a little child in their midst as an example. Now, at first you might wonder about this because, well, little children are not good at prioritizing the needs of others. So it doesn't seem like a very good example of someone that we ought to follow, and it wouldn't be if God meant the child to be, to be an example of, okay, you act like children, but that's not what God is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. He doesn't want us to act like children. The Apostle Paul reminds us to grow up in love for one another. The point of the child that's set in their midst is not an example of how we ought to act, but an example of how we ought to think of ourselves. Jesus explains. That's the, that's the important thing about any parable, any, any analogy that Jesus gives us. We have to look and say, well, what does Jesus mean by this analogy? How does he explain it? And he explains it in the next verse. Humble yourself, lower yourself, so that you consider yourself as less important than this child. Instead of considering yourself and your needs as most important, lower yourself to consider yourself as less important even than this child. Verse 4 in our text could very easily be translated, instead of, therefore, who humble, whoever humbles himself as this little child, it could very easily be translated, whoever lowers himself to the level of this child shall be considered the greatest. And of course, there's many other passages that make this point. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be, and the New King James, humbled, but again, we could say lowered. Whoever exalts himself will be lowered, and he who lowers himself will be exalted. It's that reshuffling of our priorities, that lowering of our own estimation of, what, of our needs and our importance that Jesus is talking about in our text. We can think back to our childhood. We can think back to winter days spent playing king of the mountain on snowbanks, right? Think back to struggling and pushing and pulling to try and get on top and then kicking and shoving to stay on top, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's, he's saying, don't do that. That sounds like kind of an exhausting way to live, constantly trying to pull and push others down just to make sure we stay on top. And, and yet, very often, that is the way we live in our relationships with one another, in our family, in our church. Even in, in church meetings, too often, we're more concerned with Elevating ourselves, pulling others down. Jesus wants us to reprioritize. Turn, he says in verse 3. Unless, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children. We've talked about that word there, converted before, which means to turn around, to change the attitude of our heart. Jesus isn't talking about a little change in our life. He's talking about a substantial change in the way that we interact with one another, the way we think of one another and ourselves. Doctors and nutritionists are often reminding us that 
Uh, for those of us who need to lose a little weight, for those of us who maybe need to work on our cholesterol, it's not a little change in our life. <laughs> you can't do it by a little change. You need a substantial change in your life. You can't just, okay, well, I'll eat at McDonald's four days a week instead of seven. That's not going to do it, right? I'll go for a walk uh, three, days, three days a week. You need to, to change the way you live. To, to redo the way that you eat. And, and Jesus is saying the same thing in our text. If we would learn to be like him, if we would learn to be the greatest in the kingdom, we need to, a substantive change in the way that you think of yourselves, lower yourselves in your own eyes. Exalt others, prioritize others first. Jesus continues in our text, uh, in verses 5 and 6 to explain that part of this substantive change, this reprioritizing needs to, be, needs to begin with children. That children and their needs ought to come first. Notice what he says in verse 5. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. He's further explaining what it means to humble ourselves, to put the needs of the children first. But whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck. We unfortunately live in a society that is more and more, instead of prioritizing the needs of children, exploiting the needs of children for their own, for our own personal wants and desires. And divorce is a good example of that, isn't it? There are some good scriptural reasons why sometimes divorce is necessary, but all too often these days, people are getting divorced simply because, well, I'll be happier. They're exploiting the needs and what's best for their children instead of staying and working on the marriage. And, doing, and instead of the adults doing the hard thing, they're saying, no, I want to do the easy thing and I'm going to make the kids go through the hard thing. Because I care more about my desires than the desires of, of the children. God reminds us in Malachi 2.15, he did not make them one, or sorry, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Part of the, part of the reason for marriage, part of the purpose of marriage, part of the commitment that you make when saying your vows is to give a good home to the children. Another example, of course, is abortion. People who just want to have fun and live the way they want to live and don't want to have to possibly deal with the outcome of the way that they live. And so they rather murder children, sacrificing what's best for the little children rather than accepting responsibility. Any number of ways we could go on about this. The transgender uh, movement is another good example. Putting their own desires and needs in front of those of children. Some beat their children because they're angry. Some refuse to discipline their children because it's a hard thing to do. Either case, what are we doing? We're putting our own needs and desires above that of the children. To all these people, what does Jesus say in our text? He says, I'm watching. It would be better if a millstone were hung around your neck. But of course, 
it's not just other people, right? It's not just the, the atheists who forget to put the needs of children first, as Jesus reminds us in our text, but we do sometimes too. For example, when we are too tired to get up and bring our kids to church and to Sunday school, right? That's one of the needs of our children. In fact, that's what Jesus says in our text. He says, he shows us that the opposite of exploiting children is bringing them to him. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. The greatest need our children have is, be, is to be brought to the feet of their Savior, to the feet of Jesus who welcomes them in his name. Bring the children to me and do not forbid them, Jesus says, for of such is the kingdom of God. Bring up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Jesus teaches us to put ourselves last, to put others first, to put our, the children above all else, and on top of that pile of what is needed, the top priority, Jesus says, is bringing the children to God, bringing them to Sunday school, daily devotions with our kids, that they know, they get to know their shepherd who knows them by name. Turn your hearts, Jesus says. Turn your hearts so that your first priority is that your children receive God, his word, and his kingdom. There's lots of excuses people give why they don't have time or other reasons not to bring their kids to church, not to do family devotion every night, not to begin their day with prayer with their kids, but all of them boil down to it's not their first priority. Something else is their first priority. If you make that your first priority, then there's no reason. Well, there are occasionally good reasons why you can't make it to church, right? But on a weekly basis, you're going to be there. This is what we're doing here today with our Sunday school teachers, isn't it? This is what we're doing here in the church with our, our building. And this is why we support a four a, called workers to teach our children because we know what Jesus says in his word, that our first priority, that's what we heard in our Old Testament too, right? To teach our children. But our first priority is bringing our kids to God's word. These Sunday school teachers, these teachers, they're here to help you. Not to do it for you, but to help you in that task. But again, Jesus reminds us in our text today, he reminds our Sunday school teachers, he reminds our teachers, he reminds our pastors, he reminds the whole congregation. Be careful. Do it diligently. Do it right. Because God and his angels are watching. To those who exploit children, God has a pretty serious warning in our text. But to those who fervently desire to bring their children to the Lord, he has this promise that he is with us, that he is blessing that effort, that he is working through us and our teachers, and that he will bless our kids through that word. God saved the city of Nineveh, even when Jonah was rather disappointed about it. God saved the city of Nineveh. Why? Because of the 120,000 120,000 children whom God was hoping would hear his word and come to him. 
and be his little lambs. God saved Jonah from the belly of that sea creature and did not destroy him when he had just a really bad attitude on that hill because Jonah also was one of his little lambs. God saved you by dying on the cross and saved our children through the same because we and they are his little lambs. And he wants us to bring these children to him so that they might be his and that he might be theirs, their good shepherd. Humble yourselves, Jesus says. Humble yourselves before God and put the needs of others and of children and the need for God's word before all things that the children may know their shepherd. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.